Well, this morning before we begin this new sermon series, I want to point back to last week and we finished out, some of you know, we finished out our sermon series in Philippians. We looked at this book, this theme of joy. We talked about our specific uh, values as Fondren Church, gospel enjoyment, intentional community, and prayerful mission as we looked at this letter written long ago. And we said last week that this idea of joy, when life is dark and difficult for you, it can seem like what I call coffee cup Christianity. Were you here last week or did you get a chance to listen online? We talked about how there's a lot of verses in the Bible that make coffee cups. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, I thank my God with joy in all my remembrance of you. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, the, The Lord declares the plans that I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you future hope. These are verses from the Bible that find their way onto to lots of coffee cups, and I asserted in front of all of you that there are some verses in the Bible, uh, with my dark sense of humor, that would never make it onto the Bible. And I stated some of those from you up front here, and lo and behold, Cheney, our guy Cheney, who runs Swell Fondrick and the Wonder Lab, I mean, creative, entrepreneur, uh, got energy, he's compassionate and kind and generous and funny. And look what he did. Monday morning, he comes in. He goes to his shop. And Monday morning, he comes up to Fondren Church with uh, what scholars call imprecatory prayers from the Bible. The prayers that like, Lord, smite, smite that guy, that sort of thing. Um, he, did, he did put some other things on here like, I'm going to promise to get you out of here by noon, Robert Green. Um, <laughs> coffee cup Christianity doesn't cut it. That was a quote from last Sunday's sermon. And then... Uh, our favorite was from Deuteronomy 20, uh, 28, 35. The Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. Deuteronomy 28, 35, NIV. He even put NIV on it. Isn't that great? So look, do you guys know Cheney? I don't know if he's in the house, but here's what I want to say to you. Go buy Swellophonic this week and ask for the imprecatory Psalms coffee mugs, okay, for your uh, Christmas gifts. Start early. But look, I love it when you... Don't fall asleep in church. I love it when you listen. I love it when you take what you hear Sunday and do something about it on Monday. I love it when you bring me gifts. So to quote Jesus, go and do likewise. Hey, this series that we uh, began today after this silliness is uh, what you saw. It's called Ask. And it just, we just pulled out one of Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. When he commands us as his followers to ask, to seek, and to knock. And so, don't put up your wall of defense yet, but we are, in these weeks ahead, going to talk about prayer. And you know, we get it that religious people pray. Just nod your head today so I know you're still awake. Like, religious people pray. We get that. Susan and I spent um, about 10 days with good friends over in Israel, in the Middle East, and we saw the confluency of major religious cultures um, there existing and at times clashing uh, together. And, you know, in Islam, there is the, the, the night sky, the, the morning sky eerily gets pierced with the call to a prayer for the faithful Muslim to face Mecca five times a day and to get on a prayer mat with head down and to pray. And in Judaism, we were really taken aback and in awe when we saw in the ancient temple of Jerusalem, we went to the western wall and we saw a Hebrew men reciting uh, their prayers of devotion with such uh, tradition and passion and formality. And of course, uh, Buddhism offers uh, some loose prayers uh, to usher in cognitive tranquility. And in Roman Catholicism, traditional ancient Roman Catholicism, we see lots of 
tradition, incense and candles and uh, prayers and prayer beams, uh, Hail Mary, uh, full of grace, these type of prayers. In, in historic Protestantism, we see guys like Calvin and Luther representing uh, the Reformed uh, branch of our faith, uh, talking about writing extensively about prayer and making sure that it is in line with Scripture. And the Anglican uh, sect of Christianity, of Protestantism, has brought us the common book of prayer, We all agree that religion says that we are to pray. That religion calls us to call out, to call forth, to long for. But it's not just to be religious to pray. It is, I say to you, human to pray. You ask, you seek, you knock. The person next to you, the person of faith, the person of a different faith, the person who would claim no faith. We all seek, we all ask, we all knock because we all search. And sometimes when we search... It is, it is fun. It is an Easter egg hunt or it's a treasure trove or sort of a scavenger hunt at Halloween time. It's hide and seek. Who doesn't like a good game of hide and seek? It's find out where the fish are hot, where they're biting today, right? We, there's something about us where we love to search and a lot of searches are fun and some are futile. There's the knights of old looking for the Holy Grail or people looking for the Loch Ness Monster or a Bigfoot or something along those lines, Ponce de Leon searching for the fountain of youth. Some of our searches are fun, some are futile, but we all search. You search for a deal, you search for a bargain, you search for a thrill, you search for love. You're in a search. And so Jesus, in teaching about this, he knows he's not adding an addendum or another activity to our life. When he talks about this, he's saying, hey seekers, let me teach you. Let me teach you about the world in which you live. There's something in you that cries out in the cosmos, something in you that is transcendent. Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes 3.11, I have put eternity in your heart and that is the big part of you. It's the secret part of you, but it's the part that is stubborn and unyielding and will not go away and is the part of you that searches, that asks, that seeks, and that knocks. And so in these weeks ahead, we're going to talk about this very reality of seeking Him in prayer, of calling out to Him, In times of joy, when we're afraid, when longings are going unmet, when we've fallen in love, when we've faced a temptation or a setback, we call out to Him. So I do want to say who this sermon series is not for. Okay, you can check out. You don't have to come back next week. This sermon series is not for you if prayer is easy for you. If your mind never wonders when you pray. If you're never troubled or plagued by unanswered prayer, if in a situation like when someone pulls out in traffic in front of you and your natural reflexive response is to pray a prayer of blessing over them, this sermon series, it is not for you. If you win $10 million in the lottery and your response is, thank you, God, forgive me for playing the lottery and I'll tithe to my church, but thank you, God. This sermon series is not for you if you're the Jedi warrior of prayer. And it is for the rest of us. And so as we begin, I want us to talk about a few realities as we, we're going we're gonna to look at the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to look at a few realities that were happening, happening in the history and context of when Jesus spoke into this. And so of his day, there were a few things, I've listed three, that were happening in ancient Palestine. First, prayer was a formal exercise rather than free expression. Second, long, the, the prayers were long prayers with flowery words. 
And third, prayers were a cause for pride instead of humble expression of need. If you would, Gene, to leave those up. And take the first one, formal exercise rather than a free expression. In those days, they had prayers, written, packaged prayers for every occasion. They had prayers before you ate a meal, after you ate a meal, before you left a city, before you entered into a city. They had prayers for when you were going to use a new piece of furniture or making a decision. They had prayers for nighttime and daytime, for the phases of the moon, for the cycles and rhythms of seas and rivers and all that. They had prayers for all these different occasions, ritualistic prayers before their ceremonial baths and cleansings. There were prayers for all occasions, set times and places, and prepackaged prayers that they could say. It's not too far afield from us today. I joked at the 930 with uh, Nick Crawford that um, I have a book in my office. You may want to borrow it sometime um, as a pastor, but it, it says prayers for all occasions for busy pastors. And do you know that sometimes I get asked, quite often, in fact, I'll get asked to come to a home or business and pray for you, to pray for your house, whether it's a concrete slab that's being built or a home that's fully furnished and functioning, and you just want me to pray a prayer because it's new to you. Uh, I've been asked to pray for a few businesses as they began. Uh, None of them, by the way, are still in business, but I've been asked to show up and pray prayers of of dedication uh, over homes and businesses. Uh, some people have asked me to pr- come and pray for the, you know, Robert, we just got a new dog. Would you come pray for our puppy? Sure. Robert, we got a new cat. Would you come pray for our new kitten? Jesus would not want that. Okay, that's stupid. But anyway, there are prayers for every occasion. And sometimes um, those can be very, very good things. Again, I, that book is my office. I haven't thrown it away. Occasionally, I guess I've glanced at it. Maybe in my younger days of, of ministry, but for the most part, I'm, I'm walking a road where I, my goal is more free expression than formal exercise. And what can happen in prayer can happen in any relationship, all right? Don't nudge. If you're married and sitting next to them, don't nudge them. But you can just say words over time, and they no longer pack a punch. When you said certain words and put it a certain way back then, it meant something. It was fresh, creative, new. It was novels, good. But now it it loses its punch. And that's what can happen when prayer becomes just a formal exercise. In Jesus' day, it was believed that the longer you pray, the more likely God would hear your prayers. Now think about how silly that is. That's just a bad idea. Uh, You ever pray in a group? Or somebody prays before a meal or in your small group or family time and someone prays and they go long? Are you more likely to hear them pray or less likely? Are you with me? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the notion was the longer you pray and the more flowery your speech, the more adjectives, if you will. And some of the prayers I've studied this week, some of those ancient prayers had 16 adjectives before the name of God. The idea, flower him up. Keep at it. Now, Jesus did teach persistence in prayer, but that's different than long-winded repetition. You, You with me? Third, it became a cause for pride instead of humble expression of need. Um, it's easy to do this. It's, um, it's easy to pray what I call Eddie Haskell prayers. Anybody uh, ever watched Leave it to Beaver? Okay, some of you, this is uh, in the history archives for you. But in Leave it to Beaver, there was a guy named Beaver. And Beaver had a brother named Wally. And Wally had a friend named Eddie. And Eddie would show up at the house. Okay, he would come calling at the house. And he would ring the doorbell and he would flatter the family. You know, Mrs. Cleaver, you look so nice today. And Eddie Haskell was one of those characters, and they played it up really good on this television show where Eddie's words were never sincere. 
He said the right words. He said the words to look good in front of the authority figure, but he didn't mean those words. They weren't from the heart. And that's what was happening. And so into this, Jesus is about to teach us to pray. We're just going to get our feet wet today. Jesus is going to teach us to pray, but a lot of of teachers who do their job well, before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he teaches us how not to pray. And here's what he says. You'll appreciate these. The first one, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Matthew 6, 5 says the following. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. He's pretty clear, isn't he? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. If you're living to impress people, Jesus is saying, he's using a little bit of humor here. He's saying, you know, if that's, if that's what you want to be your reward, you got it. That's your reward. And if you've lived long enough, and that's your goal is to impress people, you, you're going to realize how empty that is and how hard that is and how fatiguing that is. And at the heart of hypocrisy is, I want to impress others. I want to impress others. And you know, it's the absence of hypocrisy that actually impresses us. And in an age of scandal, one after the other, particularly with Church 2 and Me Too, where some guys and apparently some leaders around them are getting it all wrong and celebrity pastors aren't accountable. Like we're crying out for men and women to be humble and to be real and to be genuine. And this is the call Jesus is saying. And when you pray, let it be for real. Don't be a hypocrite. The second warning that he gives us is the following. Oh, yes, let's go back. Let me, let your, thank you for Daniel 6.10. 600 something years before Jesus, there was a, a, the Assyrian empire, empire had yielded to the Babylonian Empire. There was a man named Nebuchadnezzar, a guy named Darius, and a young man that a lot of you've heard of, a guy named Daniel. In Daniel 6.10, it says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. I love this, y'all. Just as he had done before. Not a public show. He retreated quietly to a reserved place. And it wasn't, it wasn't something big that got him to his knees. It's what he did. He had it built into him. You see, Jesus says, pray in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, which is huge. Because that might be among the biggest barriers to prayer that we have is that we want everything to be readily audible and tangible and visible and right in front of us. And we don't want the secret God. We want the visible God. And Jesus is saying, go to the quiet place. And God, even at times when it doesn't seem like it, he sees in secret. When one of our kids, I won't name them, one of, one of our kids was little, he, uh, so there's only two choices here, he was uh, crying one night as a little baby. So we lived in South Florida in uh, Coral Gables, and I just put him in the car and just started driving him around. And as we were driving around town, I noticed that the motion stopped him from crying. But when I would stop at a red light, what would he do? He would just wail out really loud. He was, every red light, he would cry. And sometimes I think that's how we feel about prayer. Like prayer is a red light. It's, it's making you stop. It's making you slow down. There's no motion or progress. And so why do it? It's a red light. Jesus says, he gives us some warnings. Don't be a hypocrite. The second warning, don't use a lot of repetition. Get to it. 
get to it. Secondly, oh, there's the, yeah, let's go back to that verse. I'm sorry. He says this, and when you pray, do not, I love the phrase here in the English Standard Version, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We live in an age of of vanishing attention spans. If you talk to somebody, and I'm not just talking about being a communicator on the stage or broadcast journalism a person or what I'm talking about, just in conversation. Have you noticed this? Uh, men in particular, like, what's the bottom line? Get to the point. Don't waste words. What, what, what is it? What, do you, what are you saying to me? And that's the culture in which we live. And that is not the heart of God. But I can tell you, though, we, we waste so many. We heap empty word after empty word, and it's a waste. And the last thing Jesus says... The warning before he teaches us to pray. He teaches us don't harbor anything against another. Now you're like, preacher, I thought we were talking about prayer. Now you're getting in my business. Jesus taught this, same chapter, verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We, we got to realize that Jesus is horizontal Jesus. Tony Evans, pastor in Dallas, one of my favorites. He'll be in Jackson at Embrace Conference this next year. Tony Evans wrote a book called Horizontal Jesus. Hey, look, it's not this. It's not just this. It's this. And here, let me say, somebody needs to hear this today. I know you do. You cannot have a tender heart toward God and a hard heart toward somebody else. And Jesus is saying, man, you, you want prayers to be heard. You want the heavens to open up. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't heap empty phrases. And don't harbor, don't harbor that against another person. And so now, to the prayer. To the prayer that takes 20-something seconds to say out loud, but a lifetime to learn. The prayer that Jesus taught us, he begins with this, Our Father in heaven. And don't worry about the time, don't look at the clock, don't let me scare you when I say this, but I want to start with the word our, and just isolate that. No, 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 I'm not going to be that guy, okay? I promise I'm going to get you out of here. Yeah. It's first person plural, not first person singular. In fact, the prayer itself is bathed in that first person plural. And that's hard for you because there's, we live in a society probably like none other. Ancient worlds and other societies, other cultures around the world today uh, value teamwork and family and the connective tissue of human relationships more than us. And you and I, there's something in us, man. We're taught, we buy into the ethos of our day that it's about us. We start with us. It's about us. What can I get out of going to church today? What can I get out of this prayer? Did God visibly answer the prayer that I prayed today? It, the, the prayer for me, about me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And Jesus says, you want to learn how to pray? You pray our Father, our Father. In other words, it's us, it's we. This isn't a meaningless little pronoun. It means something big. And Jesus says, our Father. And so the implications there, I want to be clear, and it's beautiful. To say that, you, that we have a Father is to say that what? That we have brothers and sisters. And so when you pray, Jesus wants us to be reminded it's not just about you. You're praying to someone higher than you who's loftier than you, who's greater than you. Isaiah would say his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He is up there, but he's a father who's approachable. 
And this word father, it's Abba in Greek, you know this. It's daddy. We can call him daddy. Some of you are terribly just not comfortable with that. But he is a father, and he, part of the implications there is that we have brothers and sisters, and we should live like it. Your prayers should reflect that. Our Father in heaven. When we, going back a little bit, when we pray, pray these empty prayers, we, uh, it's common in our day to pray. Uh, we, we heap phrases that don't mean anything, but we've heard them. We heard them from Mama and them, and so we pray them today. It's common to come into a worship service. We've probably done it here, and someone prays, Hey, God, bless us as we enter into your presence. And I imagine God is thinking, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere. I've shattered the time-space continuum. I'm everywhere in the cosmos. Uh, where have you been, you know? Or you sit down before a meal and you pray, right? You sit down in front of a meal loaded with lard and fat and sugar and butter and cholesterol. And you pray, Lord, bless this food. What? Say it. To the nourishment of our bodies. And you should say, Lord, bless this food to the hardening of my arteries. Because that's what God's going to do to you, right? Because that's the, that's the meal you sat down in front of. And Jesus teaches us that our Father is in heaven. We don't waste phrases with our Father. We call Him Daddy. We come to Him because He welcomes us and, and invites us. And there's no time for psychobabble. I just want to say to you, and I mean this sincerely, not in a trite way, but for some of you, the word Daddy, the word Father is a hard one. And God, your Father, is greater than any earthly dad. He's perfect. And so He's approachable. But listen to me. He's other as well. He resides in heaven. And I love the way Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes 5.2. Notice this connection. He says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. To utter anything before God. God is where? He's in heaven. And you are on earth. So let your words be few. I'm trying, y'all. Y'all pray for me. I'm trying to speak less and listen more. Sit at the feet of the Father. When someone comes to either bring me praise or criticism or an idea, I bite my tongue and I want to listen as much as I can. And I want Him to work that in me. And I want to come to Him without heaping empty phrases because He's in heaven and He's given me access. And our Father is able to do it all. Our Father in heaven. What's the next line? Some of you know it. Hallowed be your name. There's been a string of um, best-selling atheist books that have come out over the last um, 15 to 20 years. Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hutchins. And one of the assertions that these writers make with an axe to grind as they look at ancient Holy Scripture, they um, accuse God of being some sort of a cosmic narcissist who, uh, who desires us to praise Him to boost His petty little ego. Now, why do we praise God? Why do we offer praise to Him? Worship is not about you boosting God's ego. Can I say that? You're made to praise. And when you and I praise, quoting from Lewis Smedes, when we are made to praise, when our hearts enjoy Him, when we ascribe greatness to Him, our soul is at home. 
And our hearts are never healthier than when we offer him praise. And here's the thing, getting back to our humanity, you do this, you do this, you offer praise. When you, um, when you find something that you treasure, when you find something that you enjoy, what do you do? You do not keep it to yourself. You do not hold it in. That's not even healthy, by the way. But you don't hold it in, you express it. And so when you express delight, it doesn't uh, just express joy to that person or that object. It increases your enjoyment. Do you see that? Do you get that? When, when a beloved is with beloved, and you delight in that beloved, that is enjoyment, and that is treasure, and that is good to express it, is the right thing to do. And let me talk to a a predominantly SEC crowd. When your team wins a game, could you imagine your team winning a championship, and most of us would have to, but your team wins a championship, could you imagine after that championship that you hold it in? You can't say anything? Like, what do we do? When we win, like, I've had a team who've almost won a couple of championships, almost. Like, we finished in second a couple of times. And, like, what do we do? Like, we, we play that play that put us in second place, and we, we set it to Titanic music, right? And we watch it in slow motion, you know? We're, we got our devices out, like, And we're just like, look at this. Yes, we have to treasure it. We have to praise it. We have to express our excitement in our team. God created us that way. You're made to praise. This is not about some cosmic narcissist ego. And you and I propping it up. We are created and our souls and hearts are more fully alive and fully home when we're offering Him that praise. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the part of the prayer, I would say, that reorients us. If you've been to a mall, and by the way, online shopping is just a passing fad, but if you've been to the mall, you'll notice that there's a map, and in the map at the mall, there's usually some pin or some point that says, what, you are here. And if you're in a new city, new area, and it's a big mall, and it's got multiple floors and all that, like, you, you need that. Like, even if you're directionally good, you need that. Like, you are here. And what that does for you, it gives you a sense of everything else. And you see what Jesus is doing is when he gets us and calls us to pray for the kingdom for up there to come down here, you find yourself. And just as we said in Philippians, if you make happiness and joy the object of your pursuit, you won't find it. You won't find it. But if you make purpose and meaning, you can get happiness thrown in. And so it is. If it's your kingdom and you're asking God in all your prayers, most of your prayers are about God putting the pieces in place for your kingdom and what you're building, your project, you're getting it all wrong. Jesus is saying, here you are, and you're in the kingdom. One writer in the New Testament said, you've been transferred. In Christ, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So now live like it. There's a new kingdom, and you and I are to live our lives in such a way where we say, God, will you use me? Will you use me? In fact, Lord, right now, I'm not even going to pray a lot of prayers of petition and supplication and selfish stuff. I'm not even going to pray for my needs at all right now. I'm going to pray for me to be involved in your kingdom. So what about me? Lord, my money, do you want in my bank? Do you, want in, do you want in the wallet? Do you want to go deeper? Do I need to not increase my level of living, my standard of living, but to increase my standard of giving? God, can I do that for the kingdom? God, what can I do? What can I sacrifice? What can I be 
a part of. Lord, I want to give up the creature comforts of home. Next week, we're going to pray for Chris and Jordan Mixon. They're at the beach, Orange Beach today, playing, but they'll be leaving. Um, go into a house that Fonder Church has helped fix up and we've ordered furniture for, and they're going to minister there with Hispaniola Mountain Ministry in a tough part of the world to sacrifice. Lord, I want to be a part of your kingdom. Not all of you are called to do that, but we can come alongside them and pray for them and give to them and be a part of it. And that's what, that's what, that's what the mission is. Man, I'm never happier than when I realize I'm a part of something bigger than myself. When I sit around and make it about me, that's so empty. Let's round toward home. Give us this day our daily bread. Pretend that your parent, some of you don't have to, pretend your parent, you've got a few little kids and they come to the breakfast table and you pour their Fruit Loops and they start eating their Fruit Loops. But then all the kids, let's say there's three of them, they start taking out the Fruit Loops from the bowl and putting it in a plastic bag. Obviously, you're going to be like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing with the Fruit Loops? And they tell you that they're saving them for tomorrow. That they're not sure if you're going to feed them tomorrow. So they're taking these out today, putting them in the bag for tomorrow so they'll have stuff for tomorrow. Now, as a parent, that's what we're talking about now. As a parent, all right, how do you greet that? Sort of kind of bugs you, doesn't it? Kind of cuts to the heart of who you are. You love them and you provide them and you would look at them and say, hey, I've got tomorrow. You live today. I've got tomorrow. And somebody needs to hear this. But I want to tell you the truth. You can take it or you can leave it. When God answers, when God gives joy, when God brings about provision, He does it today. The strength that you need, focus today. In this day, God wants to do something in you. And He longs for you to trust Him with tomorrow. And then we see another part of this famous prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's a link, y'all, and it, it, it's not going to go away. There's a link, and in this link, it's our forgiveness, how we've received it, and how we grant it. And you can't separate the two. Now, people ask me sometimes, how often should I confess my sin? Y'all know the answer to that? Well, let me ask you, how often do you take out the garbage? Trash day is Monday and Thursday. I have to look at my wife. Um, trash day is Mondays and Thursdays. I take it out every, all the time. But things build up in you. The toxic stuff. The cynical stuff. It builds up. And it's ugly. And it festers. So we're, we're called... To be a people who regularly take the garbage out. One writer I admire told the story. Uh, Henry Nowen tells the story of a grandmother sitting outside with a three-year-old granddaughter. And hear me as we begin to close. This grandmother had her granddaughter with her, three years old, and she's playing with a water hose. The grandmother was reading her book, had her reading glasses on, and she was looking out this way. And the granddaughter was playing behind her. And she noticed after some time that the little girl had... Um, with the water hose, was making um, mud pies and castles and such, and just made a big mess. The grandmother turned toward her and said, hey, let's, let's not do that anymore. And she continued to face her, but she was reading her book. 
The little girl knew that she wasn't supposed to do that anymore, but she still had the hose and she still wanted to. And she would say to her grandmother, don't look at me, Nana. Don't look at me, Nana. Knowing that her, she could so easily, just with the movement of eyes, pupils, that direction, said, don't, don't look at me, Nana. And the tender soul of this little child teaches us something very profound about us. The reality in you and me. The reality that when we sin and we turn away, we want to do so unobserved in our sin. Don't look at me, God. I am going to vent on this email and rip and roar. Don't look at me, God. I'm going to ignore the poor. All my money is mine. Don't look at me, God. I'm going to indulge this appetite. I just walked out of a men's group where they talked about getting serious about temptation. But I uh, don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. And Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with a loving, restorative, heavenly Father. Where we say, you see. You see in secret. You call me to pray in secret. And you'll do your work in secret. And even if it feels like a red light, you're doing your work. Even if it's slow, I'm going to continue to seek you. There's one other part. We're not going to do it because it's time to go. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're just getting our feet wet with this. We've got some weeks. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Father, we open up now this time, this front, where this place can be an altar. God, we, uh, I and some of our people, some of our leaders stand down front, Lord. We, we, we relish and cherish the honor of praying over people. God, I pray that you would work in us today. Um, God, help us to push aside our pride and to not be afraid to demonstrate that we need you, that we want you to work in us. For distracted people, for people that are troubled by unanswered prayer, bewildered by how complicated it gets at times. Lord, lead us in these weeks ahead and a lifetime ahead for every willing heart that we would come to learn real and fresh and credible that God, that prayer is talking to you. And just as communication is literally transferring ideas and emotions, thoughts and feelings and intentions to another person, we have the opportunity of a lifetime to transfer thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas, and intentions to you, our God. A God who is able to lead us and to deliver us. And we pray in you, in Jesus, amen. You come today if we can pray for you.